There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Novel. Before we begin, this series features remarkable stories told by remarkable people. Some of the events they discuss and some of the words they use to describe their experiences can be, how shall I say this, quite colourful. This programme contains strong language and descriptions of an adult nature. And this episode contains descriptions of a hate crime, which some listeners may find upsetting. Listener discretion is advised. wait to hear your favorite record. I mean, that's why everybody wanted to go to hear their favorite record. That song, tell him that I want to make love to him tonight, tonight. Oh my God, that record was so big. And um, we'd wait all night long to hear that song. Hi, my name is Kevin Aviance. I am a American black queen here in New York City. I am a, um, I should say a legendary black queen here in New York City. <laughs> Kevin Aviance is indeed a legend. His performances epitomize queer dance culture in New York in the 1990s and 2000s, when parties lasted all day and night and dance floors were packed with the city's queer cliques. He's vivacious and fabulous and talks about music in a way that makes you want to get up and dance with him until the early hours. And his story touches on many aspects of queer culture which have seeped into the mainstream today. Drag, voguing, he's seen it all. But Kevin's story is, like many we hear on this podcast, also tinged with darkness and a stark reminder of the threats that our community faces still today. From the team at Novel, this is Call Me Mother, a collection of conversations with queer trailblazers. I'm Sean Fay. In each episode, I'm talking to a queer pioneer whose story teases out a nuance of our shared LGBTQ history. By telling these stories, we'll show the richness and wisdom of our queer community through the ages. And in each tale from the past, we'll find strength for the present day. In this episode, a history of epic with Kevin Aviance. I stole my sister's dress and her platform shoes and wore a scarf on my head. It's 1978, and Kevin is preparing for his first drag performance. He dabs on some makeup, borrowed from his mum's bag, and rushes backstage, listening to the hum of the audience. And then comes that characteristic piano slide intro of Gloria Gaynor's classic, I Will Survive. My voice is very high at the time. So when it goes, at first I was afraid. I was afraid if you hear a voice, right? And then I walk out. Now, at a very young age, I don't know how I knew it already how to present myself, but that's the way I perform to this day, you know? And something about Kevin's performance as he strutted around and sang in his sister's dress 
captivated that school hall. The audience was just like, they didn't go, <gasps> they were just like, wow. And before you knew it, they're like clapping and dancing and they said, whoo. I didn't think I was going to win, to be honest with you, and I did. And it was a good job he did, seeing as that was the condition Kevin's mum had given him when she found him rooting through her purse for the makeup to wear for the show. I was like, Mom, I'm going to sing this. Like she goes, okay, well, you better, you, you better win this thing. Me growing up, she protected me a lot because I was obviously odd. I was like the black sheep of the family. She allowed me to be down in the basement because that's where our, our albums were and all different types of music. And that was my playground. And I used to sit down there and listen to music day in and day out when I was off. And she would catch me sometimes. I'd be singing or lip syncing or whatever the case may be, listening to all this beautiful music and just with this stereo console and just had the best time in my life there. The best time. While the other kids would be outside playing, you know, she would totally be like, oh, leave Kevin alone, you know, let him do what he wants to do. Kevin grew up in Richmond, Virginia, number six of eight children. His dad was distant, but a solid provider for the family. And as we've heard, his mum was an angel. It was great growing up there. I mean, I don't remember a sad time there ever, you know. It was always very joyous. When did you first become aware of your sexuality and that it was different to what was expected of you? I was always pushing the envelope a little bit with clothing and my hairdo or maybe wear a little makeup or stuff like that. Boy George was a very huge influence on me. So when I saw pictures of Boy George, I knew exactly what I wanted to be. Now, mind you, we had Sylvester already. We had Prince. We had Michael Jackson. But something about Boy George just rocked me. I remember being in ninth grade and seeing this picture of Boy George and going, what is going on here? And let's just say, I just was not the same after that. After high school, Kevin decided to move to Washington, D.C. to live with a boyfriend he'd started seeing, probably rocking Boy George the whole ride there. He got a job as a trainee hairdresser. And then I, for some reason, found out about extensions and I started getting extensions. And that was a major turning point because that, putting extensions in my head was like me becoming my own person, you know? And... I started out with two or three pieces, and then I had a whole full Naomi Campbell down the street. <laughs> with his passion for music and his brand new locks of hair, Kevin soon fell in with the nightlife scene in DC. The relationship with his boyfriend at the time didn't last. He was single and ready to party. I was just like, you know, this young black going out every night, da 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 da, DC met a bunch of new friends and, you know, living that life. One of Kevin's favourite hangout places was a nightclub called Tracks, which held a black gay night every Sunday. It would literally be like 5,000 people there every Sunday. And so it was started at like 7 until 4 in the morning. And it was incredible. That place was incredible. And it was on the dance floor of Tracks that Kevin met someone who would change his life and his name. I met this gentleman named Juan Aviance. Uh, he's a beautiful, light-skinned black dude, very good-looking, um, mustache, and he had a lot of hair, very thick, heavy hair. Juan was a bit older and told Kevin he'd started a house where he was the house mother. 
A house is a group of kids that are brought together through a mother and a father. The mother and father come together and they decide on what the name is, right? And mm-hmm. so they go out in search of kids who are in the gay community, whether they be trans, whether they be a little feminine, whether they be butch or whatever, but mostly all of them are LGBTQ people, right? These houses, they're a surrogate family for LGBTQ plus people, with the mother and father acting as role models for the younger queer people they take in, their kids. And most of the kids that are black and brown are usually the ones that are usually in these houses. And they come from broken homes, which means that they come from a family that's not really accepting of them. I'm not from that world, but most of the kids are from that world. Not long after meeting Kevin, Juan asked him to join his house. It was called the House of Aviance, and Kevin accepted, and following tradition, took the name of the house as his surname. And we got the name from Aviance from, it's gonna be an Aviance night, Ashley. I, I can bring home the bacon, Ashley, fry it up in a pan, and never, never, never let you forget your romance, cause I'm a woman, Ashley, it's gonna be an Aviance night. In the early 1990s, a huge part of being in a house was attending and competing at balls. These are huge competitions attended by members of all the different houses. The atmosphere is electric, as hopeful entrants dress in drag and walk the runway to compete for cash prizes. It's kind of like a queer beauty pageant, a rare place to celebrate queer and trans beauty, even rarer back then. And not long after Kevin joined, the House of Aviance attended its first ball. There's usually a runway in the middle of the room, and there's a judges panel, and they usually have scorecards up from one to ten, or maybe just something like chop and ten, right? And you either get tens or you get nothing. Competing at a ball is called walking, and the ball is split into different categories. So say that they have one competition, say, for Butch Queen, and they have Femme Queen. Butch Queen is someone who is like me, who doesn't walk 24-7 in the day as a woman, okay? And a mm. Femme Queen is someone who is woman during the day. They also had a category called First Time Up in Drag, and that's the one Kevin and his house went for. So we get in drag for the first time. So we make our dresses and everything like that, these little short little kitten heels, and they call us for the girls to the runway. Now remember, for the judges scoring, it's usually tens or nothing. But unlike fifth grade Kevin, who slayed his elementary school talent show, this time the crowd were a little more discerning. They called out the names of B-movie actors and even horses as insults. They go, oh, <laughs> Linda Blair, Linda Blair, Clydesdale, Clydesdale, giddy up, girl. We're like, oh, my God. They chopped us. They were, we were allowed to walk. We are like, we could not believe they called us Clydesdales. We were like, oh, my God, that's awful. <laughs> Despite this unsuccessful debut, Kevin would go on to influence ballroom culture in an unexpected way. That's coming up. Hold up. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. In 1992, a couple of years after joining the House of Aviance, Kevin moved with his mother, Juan, into New York City. And he got quite a memorable welcome to Manhattan. I moved to New York doing gay pride, which meant a big celebration with a huge parade. This year, they went from Christopher Street all the way up to Central Park. So I remember wearing this, like, <laughs> big cotton candy wig and this, like, teddy bear jacket with all these stuffed animals to it. And it was really hot, but I love this teddy bear jacket I had on. It was incredible. It was just like, a lot of people, a lot of dancing, a lot of music, and just being joyful. It was great. Kevin quickly threw himself into life in the city. He lived with Juan in Harlem and auditioned for work as a drag performer. This was the Club Kid era in New York, when drag was in demand for clubs, events, and music videos. But getting into the business wasn't easy. I went to a couple auditions in full drag, no drag queen did that, and it was like, oh my God, it was so embarrassing. <laughs> but I was like, show up in drag, and all the other queens would be like this. <laughs> Girl, you just need your book. A book? was like a photo resume with pictures of the performer in drag for the casting director to see. And you wear jeans and a t-shirt. Like, don't come here looking like that, girl. That's not the look. Daylight is not your friend, girl. <laughs> Kevin worked tirelessly to get gigs as a drag artist. And he partied hard, too. In New York in the mid-1990s, the centre of the queer club scene was the Sound Factory, a legendary house venue in Midtown. They had a big dance floor of wood, you know, big wood dance floor, and then a stage at one end, and back behind was the DJ booth. And on each corner were speakers, and that's it. The sound system in this place was incredible. It would just go right through you, like... 
dun, dun. This is like the music of the 90s and house music, uh, strictly rhythm records. And there'll be like the fashion kids from FIT. There'll be the leather queens. There'll be the ballroom kids. There'll be like the white kids. There'll be the black kids. And everybody had their own little spot on the dance floor. But you could not stand on the dance floor. That was against the law. You couldn't drink on the dance floor and you couldn't smoke or anything like that. If you weren't dancing, get off the dance floor. The kids would remove you from the dance floor. How dare you be on the dance floor doing anything else? You know what I mean? The club became a hangout spot for celebrities like Grace Jones, Lee Bowery, and most famously, Madonna, who popularized the voguing dance style invented by the ballroom kids from the houses. It also became a place to talent scout. And one legendary night in 1994, Kevin went home with a guy who spotted something in him that altered the trajectory of his performance career. Following the next day, he gives me a call. He goes, listen, do you have your book ready? Can you go bring your book over? I said, yeah. It turned out the guy worked in the music industry and was casting a music video shoot. I said, so who's the video for it? He said, well, since you signed the NDA already, it's for Madonna. I was like, what? Madonna? What? What are you talking about? Madonna? (laughs) I said, you're kidding me. They're like, yeah, Madonna, goodbye. Kevin had landed a cameo role in Madonna's video for her song, Secret. He appears briefly in a leopard print outfit leaning against a wall. It turbocharged his career. And then when the video came on, I had like a one-second slip in it. But that one little one-second thing gave me all the big jobs after that. You know, I was working seven nights a week, girl. It was amazing. So, you know, there were no more $24 gigs for me after that. So it was good. (laughs) After the video, Kevin performed at launch parties for Madonna and was soon in demand as a drag act across the U.S., I literally did, like, tours, lip-syncing other people's music, first of all. And so I would lip-sync the song Dendada or the Natalie Cole live album or something like that. People would fly me out to go do these concerts or do these, like, lip-syncs because I loved to lip-sync, and it was amazing. I'm really good at it. Then, in 1995, Kevin was invited to meet a producer. This time, he wouldn't just be lip-syncing. He'd be singing on the producer's track. When he listened to the beat there was a word that came to mind that he'd picked up from some young gay kids he'd seen having fun and posing for each other. And they were like going, oh girl, I'm cunty, I'm cunty. So I write that word down. I just write it down because I've never heard that word before. The word cunty. So I hear the music for the song and I'm like, ooh, that beat is hot. I'm like, oh no. I said, this thing is cunty. He goes, That's what we're going to call a track. Let's record. Kevin had inadvertently come up with the name of his new song. Then I went on a little tour to France and London to go promote the song. And in London, we did not do well at all. (laughs) (laughs) London was like, Appalled with the song Cunty. They were not having it. It was like they didn't clap. They were not understanding it because, you know, call someone a cunt is cunt. You know what I mean? That's the thing, though, is it, it probably is the word, right? Because I feel like now boring and slang from that is like much more like well known. So people get like cunty or serving cunt or whatever is like about being firm and being like fabulous. But I guess at the time people just thought it was like vulgar or whatever. <laughs> The song, released in 1996, was a huge hit in the US, the first of four dance number ones for Kevin. And it became a go-to of the ballroom scene. 
Kevin's attempts to compete on the runway might have been a washout, but by the late 1990s, his song was a go-to for anyone walking in Manhattan's balls. Kevin's career went from strength to strength. By the early 2000s, he was still releasing successful tracks. He was on the cover of HX magazine, New York's gay nightlife and entertainment magazine, and he was a regular performer at queer house clubs, forming a partnership with legendary house DJ Junior Vasquez. We didn't rehearse any of those shows, so I knew all the records he would play, I knew the songs he'd play, and whenever I jumped up on stage, it was very spontaneous. It was like I would just do it off the cuff, and they would light me, and it would be very epic, you know? But in 2006, Kevin's life took a swerve in an unexpected and terrible direction. I've just been told that I'm going to have the cover of the HX magazine again. I was very happy about that because, you know, you're only good as your last dance record. So I was very excited that I was still popular. So I did the photo shoot and um, it was a great photo shoot. And then I was walking home from the East Village to Chelsea. So I'm going towards 15th Street and then I see a group of guys, black dudes, with um, this white girl. One of the guys go, you ain't Diesel, son, meaning that, you know, you're not butch or you're not man or something like that. And I was like, whatever. Kevin ignores the guys. He's used to insults on the streets. But then... A trash bag goes by me, like, really fast. I'm like, whoa, what's that? The group began throwing things at him. And I'm like this going, okay, you missed, guys. You missed, you missed, you missed. Move on. So they're coming towards me. There's four of them. And the one dude, he's getting closer and closer to me, and I could feel the heat from him. Like, I could feel the heat from him on me. You know what I mean? And I'm like this going, oh, this is not going to be good. I go into the street now, and as I'm stepping off the curb... The other three guys beat me in my back and they start kicking me in the head. So as I'm going down, so I wrap my arm around my bag so they're not getting my bag. I just got this damn bag. And they're not getting my bag or my computer. No one's getting this bag. I was really determined to keep the bag. And so, but my phone went flying. And then before you know it, they had those Air Force One sneakers on, those big sneakers. And so they started kicking me in the head like over 80 times. All I could feel was the Kevin blacked out, and when he came to, stumbled to the nearest hospital. My head had blown up really big, like it was swollen, like really huge, and I had to allow that to drain and stuff like that. And I had to go into surgery, you know, with hairline fractures, four places in my mouth. Uh, My mouth was wired shut for about three months. It was bad. Four men who had attacked Kevin were caught and prosecuted under New York's recently passed anti-hate crime laws. At trial, they pleaded guilty and were sentenced to between 6 and 15 years in prison. Kevin, we are truly sorry about what happened and we are here to show you the love and the support. Within the community, Kevin was lauded as an icon of queer resilience. Kevin put on a brave, defiant face for the crowds. Thank you, everybody, for the love and the support. Um, the cards, the flowers. It's, just been, it's been kind of hard, but you know what? You can't give a good queen down. Inside, he was in turmoil. I don't know if I was about to break, like my career was about to get big or anything like that, but I knew that 
I just released my second album. It was crazy, girl. Like, it was just crazy. I got real depressed because it's just like, I was getting all this applause for living and my applause came from performing, you know what I mean? I left New York for a while and lost my career, lost everything. Um, the money I made, I lived off the money and just existed, you know, I went to Florida and just tried to get myself back together again and just, I even went to rehab because I was doing crystal meth and stuff like that just to like, cope with the day, you know what I mean? Cope with my, cope with the drama of just being there. I got really thin and just, it was just really bad. It felt like rock bottom. And Kevin decided that in order to heal himself, he needed to close the chapter of his life that he was still hanging on to. Kevin as a famous drag performer. Kevin as a famous singer. He needed to release himself from the burden of having to be that person again. I started doing hair again, and I remember working at a black salon, doing black hair, with these black Jamaican mamas that I was working with and island girls I was working with. They taught me a big lesson about respect and respect for myself, respect for people. These women were the best thing that ever walked to my life. They gave me all my juju back again, you know what I mean? They could do hair, like real hair, you know what I mean? And black hair is like, you know, it takes all day to do a do. So, you know, I love doing it. And it was just incredible what I learned from these girls. Kevin kept recording music, but doing hair became the main focus of his life, and he enjoyed it, eventually making a good living doing hair at a strip club near Fort Lauderdale. But on a regular shift in the salon, Kevin's body began to fail him. I found myself locked up behind the chair. My hips had locked up. I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I still did hair for 13 hours, and I couldn't move. So I went and got the doctor, and they gave all this tests and stuff, and I was like, okay, tell me what's wrong. They said, nothing's wrong with you. You're fine. You just have to get new hips. I was like, what? They said, yeah, you need new hips. Your hips are bad. Kevin was in his 40s, and he needed a hip replacement. His life had been about moving. He'd been a dancer, a performer. And then, when things had fallen apart, he'd returned to hairdressing to heal himself. And now he found himself in terrible pain, barely able to do any of these things. It seemed desperate. But throughout this time, Kevin had remained a part of House Aviance up in New York, the house that had launched his early career. And then my mother of my house calls me. She goes, listen, if you have a New York address, if you come back to New York, you can get your hips done here because of Medicaid and all that stuff. That's when I decided that I was going back to being me again. You can do whatever you want to do, whatever you want. You can't kill what's inside you. When you're a performer or a drag queen or whatever, you might think you can put that all aside, but that doesn't die like that. So Kevin came back to New York. He worked a summer at Provincetown, the popular LGBTQ plus vacation spot on Cape Cod, to pay for rent in the city and worked small gigs until he could qualify to get his hips done. He got the surgery in 2012 and returned to performing, this time in sensible platform heels rather than stilettos. When the coronavirus pandemic hit, Kevin decided to hone his DJ skills, and now he's entered a new era of performance, spinning the kind of tracks that he once waited all night to hear on the dance floor. Kevin Aviance is back, influencing the club scene in a different way. Older, wiser, and with titanium hips. What is it, whether it's about the legacy of boring, what is it that you feel you wish your younger self had known that you would tell younger queer people today? 
Be open to hearing the history of what you are standing on. They stand on shoulders of greatness. Don't look at that lightly. You weren't the first. You won't be the last. And just know your history and know that you could be just as effective if you do the work. You know what I mean? If you want to be that girl, if you want to be that person, that child, that bitch, then do it. Bring it. But make sure you know who has brought it before you and make sure you represent properly. Don't take it so lightly. Don't put your nose down because if it wasn't for these club scenes, if it wasn't for this club, we would not have anything. You know what I mean? These are safe spaces. This was our community. We're all part of each other. You know, we are one and we should be allowed to be ourselves. Just know that people lost their lives for you to be where you are right now. It was lives that were lost for us to be who we are now. Call Me Mother is hosted by me, Sean Fay, with production from Pippa Smith. Rosie Collier, Sean Glynn, and Max O'Brien are executive producers. Research by Megan Oyinka. Production management from Cherie Houston and Charlotte Wolf. Austin Mitchell is our creative director of production. Mike Lee Rao is our managing editor. Gavin Haynes is our head of development. Willard Foxton is our creative director of development. Sound design, mixing and scoring by Daniel Kempson. Music supervision by Pippa Smith and Nicholas Alexander. Our theme music is composed by Eli Block. Special thanks to Lee Meyer, Oren Rosenbaum, Shelby Schenkman, and all the team at UTA. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.